In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented, but the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Pawn Order Podcast, and these are their stories. Welcome to episode 36 of the Paw and Order podcast. I have a very special co-host today. Peter let everyone know last episode that he would be away in Europe for this one. So instead of wearing her producer's hat, Shannon Milling is joining me as co-host of this episode. Welcome, Shannon. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm very happy to be uh, in front of the mic and not just, you know, in the back end of everything. It's cool to have you here. So listeners, Shannon has been producing the podcast since its uh, beginning. She's our communications and development manager at Animal Justice and wears many, many hats, one of which until recently was editing the podcast. We now have an editor who does that for us, but uh, she still produces all of the artwork for the podcast, lets our members know about it, uploads it, does all the other stuff that needs to happen, all the behind the scenes magic. So kind of fun to have you here in front of the mic for a change. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right, so let's get into it. What have we got to talk about today? Our main segment in this episode is going to be about the Calgary Stampede and more specifically rodeo events. And we're choosing that because Calgary Stampede begins the day that this episode is actually coming out. So we thought it would be a good opportunity to give you folks a look inside the Stampede events, the rodeo events in particular, that are so concerning to animal advocates and talk about why they are possibly already illegal and why they're not being prosecuted if they are illegal. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, But first, let's just catch up on what's new. So on my end, I haven't traveled anywhere since our last episode, which must be a record for me and one that I delight in. Yeah, that's been your goal for 2019 is to travel less and just have a little bit more time to, uh, you know, get things done at home. So so far I've failed at that goal, but maybe this summer will be my summer to shine. But... We had a kind of cool last couple of weeks, Shannon, because a few weeks ago we were in the Senate watching something pretty cool. Yeah, we saw all of the uh, animal protection bills passed and got to relish in that victory. And it was just so amazing to see. And it was just such a long and hard fight and uh, so gratifying to see them finally cross the finish line and all of it really uh, come full circle for us. Yeah, the bill's got royal assent, which involves the governor general signing them into law. So after a bill passes, it's not technically law until they get royal assent. So this happened. We were there to witness it. It was pretty cool. So that's all over now. Um, Other than that, I was on another podcast, or I was interviewed for another podcast recently. So it's the uh, a podcast hosted by uh, some great activists called That Vegan Couple. Yeah, they were super sweet. They came into the office. I think that was just yeah, yeah, that was just yesterday, and they were super cool. They're doing a Canadian tour. They're from Australia. Their names are Luca and Natasha, and they were just so sweet and uh, it was really great to meet them. I've been following them for a while so it was great to finally see them in person and give them a big hug. They have a really popular YouTube account and they do uh, traveling around about half of the year 
And their goal is to create more animal rights activists and help people get engaged in activism and find their voice and find their path. So we'll let everyone know when the podcast episode is out. It, it's premium content, so you can subscribe to their podcast to, to um, get access to it. But we had a really great conversation about activism in general for animals, how legal advocacy plays into the overall picture, and what uh, a world could look like where animals have actual rights or at least better protections. So pretty cool. And I also just wanted to mention if you do want to get access to that premium content, uh, you just need to become one of their Patreon supporters and you just need to pay as little as a dollar to get access to all of that. So we definitely suggest that you check that out. And we'll let everyone know when it's up sometime possibly this summer. And speaking of Patreon, reminder that you can support Paw and Order on Patreon as well. We're now at $106 per month in contributions from you lovely folks, which is just incredible and it's been really helpful to us. It's particularly in covering our editing costs for the podcast, so we're about halfway toward being able to cover that entire cost. And we do have a goal of reaching $200 per month at Patreon. Yes, and yeah, thank you so much for the support leading up to this point. Um, it's really taken that huge task off of my shoulders so I can put more time into the podcast and other areas, but it'd be really great if we had enough support on Patreon where we could cover the entire cost of that. And then even better, we're hoping to um, eventually be able to hire a research assistant through our Patreon support to make the podcast even better. So thank you for your support, and if you want to sign up, there's great uh, prizes and awards that you get, rewards that you get at every level of support, from as little as a dollar up to the sky's the limit. So check us out, patreon.com slash pawandorder. There's also uh, a new podcast review that we just got on Apple Podcasts, and if you are interested in leaving us a review, if you love Paw and Order, we would love if you did, because it helps others find the podcast. So Kira Burks recently said, this is an amazing capital letters podcast. As a law student hoping to practice animal law, this podcast started at the perfect time during my first year in law school. The podcast helped me get through by giving me a reminder of why I came to law school, even when there was very little connection to animals in the mandatory first year classes. The podcast helped me connect with members of the animal law community even within my own school, and gave me the support and inspiration I needed to switch from vegetarian to veganism a year ago. Yay, Kira! Woo! She says, thank you, Camille and Peter, for all your hard work on this podcast, and know that people are listening and it is making a huge difference. P.S. Story, Peter, that it took me so long to write a review. <laughs> well, you're forgiven, Kira. Thank you so much for the review. Please go leave your own on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher device. So Shannon, you are the Communications and Development Manager at Animal Justice, and I think it would be cool for our listeners just to get a better idea of ex exactly what your job is like. What do you do? Yeah, well, I've been uh, pretty seriously in a, into animal rights for about eight years now, and uh, I've done a lot of different stuff. So I used to organize a lot of protests and outreach events for animals. I used to tour with PETA for a long time. I even had a YouTube channel for a while, and I had a t-shirt business for animal rights for a little while as well. And finally now, I'm living the dream as the communications manager for animal justice, and I get to advocate for animals full-time, and it's just so amazing. So yeah, I wear a lot of hats at animal justice. Um, 
I do social media posting, graphic design, videography, video editing, photography, I help with fundraising, email writing, I don't know if I mentioned that already, but lots of things to do, lots of ways to be creative, and I just love to uh, do whatever I can to advocate for animals with my creativity every single day, so it's, it's such a blessing to be here. Well, we are very lucky to have you. I don't know what I would ever do without you, Shannon. Oh. <laughs> I, th I think I've pretty much forgotten how to post on social media myself now. <laughs> I used to do all that before you came along, but glad that you've taken that over. Uh, okay, well, welcome. We're glad to have you as the guest host today. We're going to talk about the news and our main segment about rodeos in just a minute. But first, we have a special announcement about our sponsor, The Grinning Goat. We love The Grinning Goat. We love you guys. The Grinning Goat is Canada's uh, online vegan clothing and shoe store. They have a physical location in Calgary that I was lucky enough to visit a few weeks ago when I was in town. And Shannon and I have both um, bought a few things there online. I bought a lot in person too, but what have you bought there, Shannon? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember the story back in, I think it was uh, the winter, we discovered that the Grinning Goat had actually uh, named a line of boots after the staff at Animal Justice. So I found out there was a, a boot called the Shannon boot, literally named after me, and I thought that was just so amazing. And my I had been wearing the same winter boots for... Oh my god, I actually was wearing the same winter boots since high school. Um, they were just in such rough shape, so I felt like this was a really great excuse to finally up my uh, winter boot game. And I honestly love the Shannon boots so much. They're super cute. They, I got the red ones, and the lining was, uh, it felt like wool, but obviously it's, it's vegan, so that's amazing. And they were super warm. Uh, waterproof and slip proof which is great this is actually the first winter I didn't fall in Ottawa so <laughs> thank you Grinning Goat for uh, for saving me in that regard and also keeping my feet super toasty and for naming a boot after me I feel very honored to have that so well we love you guys at the Grinning Goat uh, anyone listening who's looking for summer footwear they have tons of great sandals I saw many of them in person there's even more models online so you can check them out, grinninggoat.ca. They ship countrywide, and if you use the discount code PAW15, you'll get 15% off of your order. Oh yeah. All right, so on to the news. There's been lots in the news as usual. Let's start with another pretty timely piece here. So we just celebrated Canada Day. If there's any American listeners, probably you just celebrated July 4th. And this piece is by our good friend Jessica Scott Reed in the Globe and Mail. It's called Fireworks Are Awful. Kaboom! Fireworks Are Awful is the full title. Great title. Yeah. And Jessica goes through in some detail why, although it may be kind of fun to watch fireworks for 20 minutes in the sky, the loud noises actually have a pretty serious negative effect, not just on animals who get afraid, so pets who run for cover and are afraid of the, the loud booms, wildlife who... Um, are terrified as well, but also lots of humans. So veterans, people with PTSD, people from war-torn countries have just come to Canada. It can be pretty bad for a lot of people. Yeah, that was something I, I was um, really shocked to learn. I knew about the animal issue from just, you know, kind of being involved in 
all of that stuff for a while, but I didn't know that people with PTSD were triggered by fireworks, even people with autism disorder um, sometimes have issues with fireworks as well, like that was really big news to me, and I guess I never even considered the environmental part, which Jessica covered as well, because it's essentially exploding trash, yeah. so it's putting, <laughs> it's exploding trash and putting, it's putting plastic and metal um, just straight into the environment, and uh, I think that's something to consider as well. I actually live in the Byward Market in Ottawa, which is very close to where the fireworks were set off, and the year before last, the the wind was blowing in whatever direction, but it blew all the debris basically like onto my street. Oh! And I went for a walk the next day closer to where they'd set them off, and there were just all kinds of these like sort of wooden husks of the fireworks, I guess, that just go up in the air and they explode, and those particles that debris just falls down to the earth, like you said. It's it's um it's not great. Yeah. And even if there's a bird in the sky, that could be, that could hit a bird too. Totally. Um, and this is really crazy. I so I, I've known about the fireworks issue, and I wasn't planning on seeing the fireworks, but I was with some friends on Canada Day, and everyone wanted to go, and I wasn't putting any money towards supporting it. So you know, I figured instead of staying home by myself, I would go with my friends to you know go downtown and check it out. And we went to Majors Hill Park in Ottawa, and I had never been actually close to exploding fireworks before. I'd usually just see them, you know, from from a distance. Uh, but I was really close, and there was thousands of people there. And I was actually really overwhelmed by the shockwave it was putting through my body, but also everyone else's. Um, it was crazy. It was almost like being beside like a speaker at like a rock concert when you, you feel the vibrations through your core. And when I would see because light travels faster than sound, I would see the explosion first, and then I would brace myself for the shock right after, and at some points, I was closing my eyes, kind of wishing it was over, and I was like, is this going to give me a heart attack? But I would look around, and there were thousands of people there seeing the same thing as I was, so I figured everything was okay, but I couldn't help but think about all the animals, too, that are, uh, you know, feel, that are more sensitive to light and sound, and and shockwaves like that than, than humans are. And I just felt so much sympathy for them. And at that moment, I definitely didn't want to be that close to fireworks again, but it made me feel even strongly that we shouldn't have them at all. Yeah, yeah, there are apparently noise-free fireworks. And Banff, the, the town of Banff in Alberta, has actually moved away from using fireworks altogether because they've decided that the effects on wildlife are just too harmful. So, uh, the head of whatever organization runs uh, the Banff celebrations for Canada Day, he's quoted in Jess's article as saying that there's been no effect on attendance or people's happiness with the display. They're quite happy with Banff's alternative. So I do hope that's something that people will move toward um, advocating for, is just asking their cities to use alternatives to fireworks to help protect people from being afraid and also animals who often run off or are terrified. Yeah, and it's interesting to think that BAMP implemented this already, but there's really wildlife everywhere. And even when I shared this story on Facebook, um, so many people were sharing it and commenting on it, and including personal stories of people with their dogs that were so terrified they were shaking and foaming at the mouth. And I, yeah, I think it's just a, an issue that a lot of people care about, and it'd be really great if cities took it seriously and, and hopefully banned it in the future. Yeah. Okay, so on to a story out of Winnipeg. The Assiniboine Zoo is in hot water. It's being lobbied by activists to shut down its cruel stingray exhibit after three stingrays died and three more were injured. So the issue 
apparently is that the stingrays were involved in pretty aggressive mating behavior, which can occur in the wild, and the zoo is being very careful to point out that that could be natural behavior in the wild, but obviously they're being kept in a completely artificial tank, in artificial conditions, unnatural environment. They're not able to escape each other if they want to get away because the tank is so small. So it's contributing, uh, I believe, to uh, what happened in this situation. And the stingrays are also used in an exhibit that's designed to be very interactive. So humans actually come and put their hands in the water with stingrays in the tank. And you got to think that the stingrays must be affected by that. Yeah, this story really bugs me, um, especially when it when it first came out that this exhibit was opening. The uh, one of the organizers at the zoo talked about how they were taken from the waters of Florida and South America and the Caribbean Sea to essentially tell the story of the ocean in Winnipeg, where there is no ocean, and that just really bugged me. And I just feel so bad about these poor stingrays being taken from their homes and being being put in a shallow tank to be stroked by strangers all day long. Like, I couldn't think of anything worse than that, honestly. Oh, and it's a watery prison. Yeah, now they're literally injuring and killing each other. And um, yeah, it bugs me that the, the zoo talks about natural behaviors in the wild being, you know, um, that aggressive mating behavior is pretty natural. But at least in the wild, if they can escape each other, you know, and they're, they're all in a tank. There's nowhere to go. There's no chance to escape that, so. Oh, and they certainly don't have nearly as much stimulation or as excitement as they would in the wild. They can't live in natural social groupings. It's a completely artificial environment. Uh, we've got to remember that for a family visiting the zoo for an afternoon, it's an afternoon of mild entertainment. But for the animals confined there, it's a life sentence. Or in the case of these poor stingrays, it's a death sentence. Yep. Okay, on to another zoo story. This one, we spoke about Lucy the elephant last week on the podcast, or a few episodes ago maybe, but Lucy is the elephant confined at the Edmonton Zoo for about 42 years. ZooCheck, uh, an amazing organization, our friends at ZooCheck have sought Lucy's veterinary records and they've advocated for her, they've gone to court on her behalf, you can check out a couple episodes we've done on this before. And the recent records that they've accessed show that Lucy's health is deteriorating pretty drastically and ZooCheck fears that she's on death's doorstep. Uh, the zoo denies this, but ZooCheck's experts who've reviewed the, the records are very concerned. So she's on a daily dose of pretty heavy opioids, which apparently is necessary to help her deal with some pretty serious pain that she's in. Uh, there's concern that if she is not given the opioids, she'll just go down and won't be able to get back up and will then die. And I guess this constant dose of opioids can cause stomach problems and other health issues that she's now displaying as well. Yeah, and I remember reading that she did fall twice. Was it just last year, I believe? Probably. Yeah, she fell twice, so um, yeah, poor Lucy. Yeah, poor Lucy. She is another one of those animals who's being given a life sentence, soon to be a death sentence, in a zoo. And uh, one glimmer of hope is that Zuchek is pursuing the recent court case that it lost at the Alberta Court of Appeal. It's trying to take that to the Supreme Court, so it made that announcement, and we're really keen to see that go there. The issue in the case is whether the zoo was properly granted a license, because the zoo is supposed to be complying with Alberta's animal protection laws, and Zuchak believes that in the case of Lucy, they're not. She's suffering, she's in distress, she's in pain. They should never have been granted the license because they're not complying with the laws that say that she shouldn't be experiencing distress and discomfort. So I hope that case goes up, because it could be a, a very significant chance for the Supreme Court to weigh in. Definitely. 
All right, and our last news story for the episode is about a pretty sad situation in British Columbia. Cat breeders who had 13 serval cats seized after the cats were found by the BC SPCA in horrific conditions. Yeah, I hate this story so much. These poor cats were being bred and confined in uh, dark RVs um, with no natural light, just feces and urine everywhere. Honestly, it sounds like a hellhole. Yeah, serval cats are wild cats. They're not like domesticated house cats. Sometimes they're crossbred with them, but serval cats are wild, larger, much larger cats who are not domesticated, not appropriate to keep in captivity. Unfortunately, it's not illegal in BC to keep them in captivity or to breed them, and there's no oversight of that process. But they, as large wild animals, they require a lot of space, they require stimulation, they need to be outdoors. It's completely cruel to keep them in a dark windowless trailer. And that's one of the issues that the BC SPCA identified. So Shannon, what this story says to me is it just goes back to this whole issue of exotic animals being almost completely ignored by the law. Some places like BC do have some restrictions and license requirements. But it's clearly not enough if this situation keeps happening. Yeah, and it's one of those things, like, if you're going to have exotic animal bans, it it makes sense to have a list of animals that are allowed instead of trying to construct a, a list of every single animal that isn't allowed. I think it would just be so much easier to have regulations that way, and... Yeah. We've talked about this, I think, a little bit before in the podcast, but the idea behind that, of course, is that instead of having a list of the animals you can't have, so a negative list of banned animals, it's better to say, here's the animals that you can keep. A positive list, if you will. Uh, They've done this in a number of places in Europe right now, a few cities in in Montreal. Uh, New Brunswick has a positive list. And we would say that list should be pretty short. It should be domesticated animals who are appropriate to keep as companions. Absolutely. No exotics. Let's move on now to our main topic about the Calgary Stampede Rodeo events. So this episode was kind of prompted by the idea that the Stampede is beginning the day that this episode comes out, which should be Friday, July 5th. But it's not really about the Calgary Stampede per se, it's more about rodeo events more generally and and about the rodeo events at the Calgary Stampede. This is not an episode against the Stampede. Many aspects of the Calgary Stampede are tons of fun. Uh, Shannon, I'm actually from Alberta originally. Yeah. I was born in Calgary. My dad and stepmom still live there, and my stepmom is actually on the organizing committee for the Calgary Stampede. Yeah, my family's there too, so... Um but sadly they go and they watch the rodeo events and put that on Facebook, so I wish they would not do that, but did you ever go as a kid? I've been to the Stampede lots of times, and I was there as an adult one year too, I think when I was maybe 21 or 22 I was in town for. Right. I obviously didn't go to the rodeo events, but the rest of the Stampede is basically just a fun carnival. Yeah, there's concerts and games and rides and stuff like that, so... Yeah, in fact, only 16% of Stampede attendees even visit the rodeo events. It's wow. clearly not the main attraction to the Stampede. And, you know, obviously we would say that they should just get rid of it altogether and move forward with a humane, non-abusive event, and people would still have a great time. Definitely. I don't think it would be missed, honestly. They just keep everything the same. Yeah. A 2015 survey done by the Vancouver Humane Society actually found that 63% of Canadians are opposed to rodeo events. Mm. And for pretty good reason. So we're going to start off by just describing some of the rodeo events, the most abusive and common ones that are found. 
Um, I do want to say before we start that the Calgary Stampede is far from the only rodeo in Canada. There's 11 rodeo events in Quebec this year, 11 in Ontario, um, tons out west as well. Rodeos are big business. There's professional riders who engage in these competitions. I don't want to call it a sport because I think it's just animal abuse. I don't yeah, think that's a sport. I refuse to call it a sport too. <laughs> just like hunting. Not going to call that a sport. No, you don't get that label. I'm no, sorry. No, hunters are not sportsmen. <laughs> no, definitely They gun not. down wildlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's widespread across Canada. Some places are moving to restrict it. We'll get into that a bit later. But let's just talk about some of the most common rodeo events. And we'll link in the show notes to the Stampede website, which describes some of these in detail as well. And I'm surprised that they describe them when you when you read their descriptions. I mean, they're not trying to make them sound cruel, obviously, but to me, they just inherently sound cruel. And violent, yeah, for sure. So let's start with the one that's arguably the worst for animals, certainly in terms of causing deaths. That's chuck wagon racing. Yeah. Do you want to describe what that is? Yeah, so it's essentially a team of thoroughbred horses that uh, race around a track while pulling a chuck wagon. And yeah, it's it's one of the most dangerous ones. Uh, two-thirds of the recorded animal deaths from the stampede or from, are from this one event. So it's definitely one that, uh, I don't know, needs to be tackled for sure. And you have some more insight about how this isn't even a traditional rodeo oh. event to begin with. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks to the Vancouver Humane Society, which tracks deaths at the stampede. Uh, They've tracked deaths since 1986. They've got some helpful information that we'll link to. And they found about 99 deaths in the past 30 years or so. And 67 of those were from the chuck wagon races. So horses who died when the when the wagons topple over. So the wagons often because the horses are drawing them at very high speed around a narrow figure eight track. There's often collisions or just accidents when the horses fall or the wagons flip over. And that leads very frequently to leg injuries, broken limbs, uh, and the typical response when that occurs is for someone just to shoot the horse or put them down. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking. Uh, horses are very difficult to treat when they have broken legs. It's very difficult to, to help them heal those legs. So typically they're euthanized, as the industry would call it, or shot and killed, as I would call it. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to point out, too, um, this the stampede, so the, the records of the deaths have been kept since 1986 by the Vancouver Humane Society, but it's actually been an annual event since 1923, so for 63 additional years, there's been uh, deaths as well that haven't, we don't have records of that, but just to put that into context about how long this has been happening and how many more animals uh, have died within that time. Yeah, that's a great point. The other thing we don't have stats on is how many animals die in training. Right. Uh, You know, the stampede itself happens for a narrow, discreet week every year, but the training is ongoing all year round for rodeo competitors, and there's no way to track the deaths of animals that occur during that process. But uh, yeah, so back to chuck wagon racing, it's not even a traditional sort of farming kind of event or sort of cattle ranching event, which is where a lot of the Stampede's events come from. Um, Not that I think tradition is ever an excuse for violence or animal abuse in this way, but chuck wagon racing was just started as an attraction for the Stampede. It has no grounding in, in what people used to do on ranches. So very cruel event, very dangerous. Everyone knows that there's an extreme risk of animals dying. I will be shocked if animals don't die this year at the Stampede because they've died almost every year since it started. It's almost 100% guaranteed that there's at least one death every year. That's right. So another very cruel event. Uh, Fewer deaths, but 
the terror inflicted and the injuries inflicted are just appalling. It's called calf roping. So in a calf roping event, what happens is uh, a calf is sort of kept in the chute. They are goaded, which often includes tail twisting or kicking or knocking the calf's head against the bars, sometimes an electric shock. Uh, they're goaded into the arena where a cowboy on a horse pursues the calf, tries to lasso them and take them down, and then ropes up their legs, all four of them ties them together. Uh, so the calf is running at breakneck speed because the calf is freaking terrified. Uh, for cows especially, there's a lot of veterinary evidence that fear can be even more damaging to them than pain. So psychological suffering can be worse than physical suffering because they're, uh, they're flight animals. They get scared very easily. They uh, can really, really suffer when they're forced into these situations and they're, they're fearful. So the calves are jerked around the neck with a rope, uh, jerked to the ground, and then lifted and thrown down to be tied together oftentimes. So very, very terrifying and horrible event. And some rodeos have even dropped this. Uh, Cloverdale Rodeo in BC has dropped this after a calf broke his leg. That's awful. And Camille, just to, uh, just to add to that, just to be precise, um, it's technically tying three legs together, not all four. Just, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, which I don't really know what difference that makes, but I just wanted to add that little tidbit in there. I guess on um, the theory that they can't move with only one leg, but they could maybe with two. Yeah. Anyway, it must be so terrifying for these poor young, uh, poor young cows. I couldn't imagine anything worse, honestly. Yeah, pretty heartbreaking. Uh, another really heartbreaking one is steer wrestling. Mm -hmm. Do you, you look into steer wrestling? Yeah, so it's a rider on a horse. They chase after a steer. A steer, for anyone who doesn't know, is a neutered bull. Um, they jump off the horse, they grab the steer's horns, and they, they yank the horns to the side to, um, to get the steer off balance, so they essentially fall to the ground. But it's super violent, and steers have often broken their necks from this. And, it, I mean, if you watch a video um, and slow it down, too, it's like their whole neck is just distorted. It looks... C completely painful and uh, I don't know how it's not banned honestly. Horrible stuff and there's lots of YouTube videos of, of all of these events if you just google rodeo events you can see exactly what happens. Uh, one common theme though is that they all involve inducing an animal to be terrified to run for his or her life at which point a rider comes in and tries to pursue them in some way. Exactly like these events would not exist unless you were creating terror within these animals so. Exactly. So uh, then there's sort of a last category of, of sort of general events, which is bronc riding, slash bareback riding, slash bull riding. They all sort of involve the same thing, which is riders compete to see who can stay mounted on a, a bucking horse or a bull or another animal for a set period of time. And bucking is not a natural activity for any of these animals. They don't naturally buck. Like you wouldn't just see cows or horses in the field buck their legs. Yeah. They do so because they're induced to do so with the use of a flank strap. Do you know what a flank strap is? Yeah, it's essentially um, a strap that they tie around the genital area um, just to create general discomfort and to provoke a bucking action, I suppose they like to say. But um, it just sounds like the bull's being tortured and wants his flank off and wants this man off their back. Yeah, so the flank strap goes around the horse's very sensitive, or bull's very sensitive hindquarters, and that's the only way they'll buck, uh, but they will keep bucking until the strap is released. So it's clearly a form of torment, the animal doesn't like it, and uh, that's why they do it, to induce that behavior. So again, inducing fear and also discomfort. 
Absolutely. And there's actually one more event as well. There's barrel racing. Um, this one is a, usually a female-led event in rodeos, and essentially they're racing a horse around three barrels in a cloverleaf pattern in the center of the arena. So just really uh, quick movements in, a, in this formation, and uh, horses often fall as well in these really tight circles they're forced to make. And one thing we know for sure about all of these events is that they put animals at extreme risk of injury. We know that because animals are injured and die virtually every single year. Absolutely. And the reason that these events take place, number one, it's for financial motivations. People profit from displaying these events and, and treating animals in this way. Uh, rodeo participants can win pretty significant cash prizes and it generates a lot of revenue. So uh, it makes people money and it entertains some other people. So when we go back to this idea of what should the law allow, right? there's always this balance between what causes suffering to animals and what's useful to humans. And if you think about what's useful to humans, entertainment is definitely at the low end of those values. So if we're yeah. going to have an industry that provides some benefit to humans, even though it causes suffering to animals. A lot of people would say things like sustenance are much more important and entertainment is at the very, very low end of that list. Right. And maybe they're not, in a way, protecting our, I don't want to call it a right to entertainment, but that's maybe how they bill it. Maybe they're just protecting this industry that makes so much money from torturing animals. Like really, I think it just comes down to money at the end of it. Yeah, pretty much. This, this, these events probably wouldn't exist if they weren't profitable, although I suppose some people might say, it's part of our heritage, we have to do it. Yep. I mean, the, just to shoot down that argument, most of these events don't really bear much resemblance to actual ranch practices, historic or modern. Um, you know, why would a cowboy ride a bull? Yeah, and... Uh, why would anyone want to make a <laughs> horse buck with a flank strap like that has no basis in ranching practices i don't know people are just bored i guess but yeah there's no reason to do that and that brings us to even like um in 2017 the montreal had that rodeo for its 375th anniversary but rodeo events had no have no history in montreal i don't even understand why that was a thing for for such a huge birthday yeah, this was actually a really big debacle, and apparently a lot of people were really upset with the mayor at the time, Mayor Denis Coderre. Mm -hmm. He'd done a bunch of things that were really anti-animal. He enacted the pit bull ban. Yep. He bungled an attempt to ban horse carriage rides, and then he brought in this damn rodeo, and people were like, why is Montreal having a rodeo for its celebration? This has yeah. nothing to do with Quebec heritage. Absolutely nothing. But this is a good segue to start talking about whether rodeos might actually be illegal. And I think there's a very strong legal argument that they are. Yeah, absolutely. So Montreal, interesting situation. There was this rodeo in 2017. Before the rodeo began, Professor Alain Roy of the Université de Montréal, he's a law professor, was interested in trying to stop this event from happening in the first place because it's a cruel event. So he filed an injunction to try to stop the rodeo from proceeding on the basis that the cruelty inflicted on animals was illegal, mm -hmm. did not comport with Quebec's law. In the end, the rodeo tried to retaliate against him. They threatened to come after him personally for $100,000 in costs if yeah. he succeeded. Yeah, I remember that. Very intimidating, and that's the thing that large corporations can do against individual advocates. So it can be uh, very 
risky to bring proceedings like that, so we applaud him for bringing it in the first place. But he did reach an out-of-court agreement with the rodeo, a settlement, that led to him being able to bring in experts to observe 20-some rodeo events that summer in Quebec. And on the basis of his observation, he created a comprehensive 600-page report that we will link to that's conclusion was that rodeos violated Quebec's animal protection laws by inflicting illegal distress onto the animals involved, as well as very serious psychological suffering. Good for him for doing this report, honestly. It was very useful, and, and we'll link to it so you can take a look if you're curious. But it uh, details very carefully, along with photos and video evidence, much of the suffering detected. So there's animals who are bleeding, there's animals who are showing very, very clear signs of being terrified by the events that they're forced to participate in. Um, there's animals with their necks being jerked and twisted in very painful and terrifying ways. Uh, there's a ton of evidence in there. So as a result of this, and I don't know the latest updates on this, but Quebec did strike some sort of provincial rodeo committee to examine rodeo practices and see about moving forward in the future. So at least there was something that came of that. Definitely. We reached the same conclusion as that report in 2015, and we actually, at Animal Justice, have filed a cruelty complaint with the Calgary Humane Society demanding a prosecution of uh, the rodeo events at the Calgary Stampede. So it's an interesting issue. Calgary Humane Society is the local law enforcement authority when it comes to animal laws in Calgary. They're also a charity, um, like many places in the country. In Alberta, charities enforce animal protection laws, at least in Calgary they still do. Edmonton's moving away from that. And what's interesting to me about the situation, Shannon, is that the Calgary Humane Society says on its website that it opposes rodeo events. Yep. Yet they've never prosecuted a rodeo event for which what we see is pretty clear uh, violations of animal protection law. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. So they have the power to do that and they're publicly saying they oppose to it. So why do you think that they haven't done it, Camille? Well, that's a good question. We'll, we'll get back to that. I, I'm just going to read for a second what the Alberta Animal Protection Act says and why we say that it's illegal. So the act prohibits causing or permitting an animal to be in distress which includes an animal being injured, sick, in pain, or suffering. So that's pretty comprehensive. Mm -hmm. uh, it also says that they're, they're in distress if they're abused or subjected to undue hardship, privation, or neglect. There's an exemption for activities carried on in ex accordance with reasonable and generally accepted practices of animal management or husbandry. So that's a common industry exemption that we see in a lot of provincial laws. Right. But there's no specific exemption for animal entertainment practices of any kind. Um, that's not considered traditional animal agriculture or husbandry. That's really a purely entertainment event when we're talking about rodeos. Uh, so it's really difficult for there to be any clear path to saying that that type of distress inflicted on rodeo animals is legal. Absolutely. Now, why is the Calgary Humane Society not prosecuting? Uh, I, I think if you asked them, they would maybe say that the Crown Attorneys won't prosecute. Um, I don't know the situation in Alberta or what discussions they've had with Crown Attorneys. That's obviously not something we have access to. But uh, as an organization that does have law enforcement authority, I, I think that they should take action. If there's some question, if it's possible that events might be illegal, but maybe they would be found legal by a court, then we should at least bring that forward so that the court can decide. Absolutely. If you care, do something about it. 
But one thing that's potentially problematic, and this is why animal justice has been fighting for the separation of private charities from law enforcement functions, is because there's a concern over conflict of interest. Right. So in Calgary, rodeo events are supported, I think, broadly by Calgarians. I don't know if there has been polling on this, so that might not be true. But I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of donors to the Humane Society were supportive of rodeo events and would be upset if there was a prosecution. So there is some fear that um, that does create the appearance of a conflict of interest. We don't see a prosecution, um, and there might be some link towards loss of donations. Now, just to be clear, we're not saying that that's the cause of no prosecution or anything at all like that. It just brings back to the structural issue about why it's problematic in the first place for private charities to be enforcing um, public laws. So, Absolutely. At any rate, there hasn't been a prosecution of rodeo since 1950, and it's highly improbable that no animal cruelty has been committed by any rodeo participant since 1950. So it follows that the enforcement of these laws hasn't been sufficient. Uh, we think it should be. Right, and uh, that's why this year we are targeting Calgary City Council instead of the Calgary Humane Society um, for this type of event, I guess. But I'll let you pick up on that. Right, so um, we've, we've got a video that Shannon has made just detailing some of the practices of the Stampede. It's, uh, you can find it on our Facebook page if you take a look. And uh, the video links to an advocacy page where you can take action and ask Calgary City Councillors to restrict rodeo events at the Stampede. So this is a reasonable step. Other municipalities have already done this. Vancouver banned rodeo events in 2006, and North Vancouver did the same thing. Yeah, so it's totally possible. It's already happening. And we encourage you not only to take action um, through this page, but please also share the video on social media as well and spread the word. And, you know, it's great to get as many signatures and people taking as much action as possible so the, that the uh, Calgary City Council really gets the message and hopefully does something. That's right. And then just a final note about uh, some action being taken against rodeos elsewhere. So in New Zealand, the New Zealand Animal Law Association actually filed its own criminal charges against a New Zealand rodeo event after it used an electric shocker on calves and cows in 2017. Right, and that's pretty standard. Um, I believe that happens here as well. Yeah, that's right. So very disturbing. Obviously, no animal deserves to be put through that. So it's good to see that prosecution. I'm going to be speaking at the New Zealand Animal Law Association conference this September. So I really look forward to finding out more about how that case is proceeding and what they hope to benefit from it. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up our rodeo discussion. Uh, check out the show notes if you want to learn more about any of these topics. And uh, thanks for joining to check it out. And now, Shannon, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Okay, our first, uh, our, our hero today is Nova Scotia. So in Kejimakujik Seaside Park in Nova Scotia, it's a beautiful, popular park. I've never been there, but people do a lot of backcountry camping there, canoe camping, things like that. They have closed off part of the park to visitors because bears are there. I love this story so much. It's like they're just being totally proactive. Um, 
They're avoiding human and wildlife conflict to promote coexistence and just letting the bears do what they want to do while um, preventing any terrible incidents between bears and humans at the same time. It's nice because typically the response of government in situations where humans and wildlife might come into conflict, as we're going to talk about in a minute, is to go after the wildlife, push them out of habitats, uh, sometimes shoot them or kill them or remove them from a situation. But Ketchumakujik is just doing the right thing for the bears and making them the priority in that area of the park. So it's, it's nice to see this for a change because I feel like we don't often. Yeah. Um, do you want to read one of the quotes from this article? I really love them. Or maybe I can. Sure. Okay. By reducing the potential of bear-human encounters through the guidelines and closures, Parks Canada is encouraging natural black bear behavior and reducing the likelihood of risky behavior which can happen when bears become habituated to humans, the Parks Canada release said. By respecting these guidelines, we all contribute towards coexisting with the wildlife and protecting the diverse species that make this place so special. And it is special. Thank you, Nova Scotia. Thank you, Parks people, for taking this step. It's nice to see animals made the priority for a change instead of just human convenience. Well-deserved hero, for sure. Now, unfortunately, for every hero, there's a zero, and this one is pretty much the flip side of the coin. So, Well-deserved zero, also. Well-deserved. And this is a story out of the States, but we decided to include it because it involves Canada geese. Yeah. So in Denver, the Parks and Recreation Department has rounded up 300 Canada geese in a popular Denver park. Geese that weren't doing anything wrong, but apparently their poop causes a nuisance to people. They rounded up. poops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So does wildlife. Yeah. So they rounded up these geese. It seems like they took them to a slaughterhouse and slaughtered them and are trying to pawn the meat off on like homeless people or food banks or wildlife rehab centers. No doubt as like an ex post facto PR move because people are pissed about this. Animal cruelty aside, is that even food safe? Like can you even detect if these animals have anything from the wild? Like not that I really care about that, honestly, but I'm just wondering if that's even a legal thing to do in terms of catching animals and slaughtering them and distributing them to just other people. I don't know. That's a great question, and I hope someone is looking into that because this situation is, is messed up. They apparently did this in the dead of night and didn't announce it, but people found out about it anyway. So sketchy. Yeah, so really, really good example or bad example of people putting their own aesthetic interests and in not seeing goose poop. Uh, over the actual lives of these geese. It's really, really sad. And one other heartbreaking thing about what happened um, with these geese is they were in a period of molting, so they weren't even able to fly. Um, so we found out that when when uh, geese are shedding their feathers, it's about a month they're not able to actually take flight. So that's when they were targeted and killed when they're in this vulnerable state. Yeah, another thing that I feel like it's so well-known at this point that it doesn't even need to be pointed out, it kind of goes without saying, but obviously these roundups don't actually reduce the population of geese. If there's a habitat that they want to be in, more geese will just come and participate in living in that location. So there's a lot of humane ways to reduce populations and to coexist with wildlife, but rounding up Canada geese and slaughtering them is not one of them. Definitely not. Big zero to Denver Parks and Recreation. Big fat zero. 
All right, that's our episode for this week. Thanks so much to everyone who joined us, and we'll be back in a couple more weeks with uh, Peter in the host chair again. Thank you, Shannon, for coming. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Peter, you can have your spot back, I guess. <laughs> We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pot and order if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Labchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Paw and Order. 